it's not like, you know, if one of your friends is politically engaged, what, what will get 10 of them politically engaged? It's one issue. Right now, what is getting people in Alberta more politically engaged than anything else? It's open pit coal mining in the Rocky Mountains. I guarantee you this government had no idea that hundreds of thousands of Albertans would wake up. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash Forgotten Corner Pod, or visit our website, forgottencornerpod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. My name is Scott Schmidt. I'm your co-host here alongside my co-host, Jeremy Appel. We are very proud to tell you that we are part of the Harbinger Media Network, a community of progressive podcasts challenging right-wing and corporate media dominance in French and English from coast to coast. If you are listening to this show, you should also check out other Harbinger Media podcasts, such as The Progress Report, Out of Left Field, and Tech Won't Save Us. We're not saying big shiny takes today. No, no, no. Out of left field uh, is defunct, though. Oh, for fuck's sake. It's on the site. Yeah, I know. They, I mean, they still have all their episodes archived, but they, uh, they, uh, yeah, announced they were breaking up like a month ago. I don't know. What, what is time? Uh, what is time? Are we leaving that in or are we going to say that all again? You can leave it in. I don't care. <laughs> they're, they're good guys. Fuck yeah. They still have episodes, right? Listen yeah. to that shit. All right. Yeah. Anyway, how you doing, buddy? Doing good. Uh, I was um, up late last night watching that uh, Tiger Woods HBO documentary. Yeah. yeah. Really good. It's good. I'm excited to see it. Yeah. I didn't realize that he like kind of never really wanted to play golf. It was just like like his parents made him and then he oh just dude that. he was like on the tonight show when he was three hitting balls like no three-year-old is like dad can i play golf yeah they, they're was, told yeah it's like he was he it was like he was bred in the lab to play golf Pro- prodigies aren't born buddy they're made yeah that's true talents is overrated right right i uh i'm not sure i should watch anything this week because i think i might have killed christopher Plummer this week and i'm really kind of fucking broken up about that because whatever night it was i was laying there and i'm like i should watch knives out i haven't seen it yet people been telling me how good it is so i watched it and while i was watching it i don't know if you've seen it spoiler alert but he's he's dead from the opening scene on no i have it's i i liked it a lot I'm sure some listeners haven't, but that's pretty obvious part. He's dead from the, it's a whodunit about who killed this character, right? And so like immediately while I'm watching this, I was like, hey, in my head, I'm like, I wonder if this is going to be the last time I, like last movie I see Christopher Plummer in. And then I woke up the next morning and he passed away. So I was like, Jesus Christ, well, put the remote down, buddy. I thought Kevin Spacey killed him. <laughs> well, I mean, if I was going to kill an actor, I'd. I realized Christopher Plummer was 91, but I'd trade him for Kevin Spacey any any day. So anyway, on with the show. Um, we have a pretty fucking good episode today, so we want to get right to it, I think, hey? Yeah, I'd say so. We've got uh, quite the guest. 
I know he's look. He's sitting there like on the edge of his seat, just fucking raring to go. I can tell. I can tell. So here, let's get to it. Ryan Jesperson has basically taken over the internet since starting his daily podcast in November. So there isn't much we need to say to introduce him to the show. He is the host of Real Talk, which provides daily discussion about news, politics, and pop culture. Upon hitting the airwaves, the show instantly became one of the most listened to daily podcasts in North America. What people seem to love about Real Talk is Jesperson's ability and willingness to bring topics to Albertans from all angles, hosting a range of guests much wider than traditional media formats tend to provide. He is the former host of The Ryan Jesperson Show, which aired daily on a global news affiliate in Edmonton. And since somewhat famously departing from his time in mainstream media, he has quickly found a way to seamlessly meld the traditional radio show with the independent media podcast surge. You're used to hearing him ask, ask all the questions, so today we're very excited to reverse the role and have him do the answering for a change. Mr. Jesperson, welcome to the show. Well, I, uh, <clears throat> Scotty, you extended me the gracious opportunity to vet my <laughs> intro ahead of time, and I said, no, I want to hear it live. I fucked and, it up, didn't uh, I? No, you didn't at all. Okay, good. As, as a matter of fact, <laughs> uh, I think that you were were quite uh, gracious, and uh, it's a real honor to have been uh, corresponding with Jeremy behind the scenes, and to uh, and I've been looking forward to this for a while. So thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. We 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 actually asked you uh, early like in the fall. I think we were hoping to get you on the show after the old departure from Global, and and you were like, well, I got a little something in the works. So hang tight there. And then, of course, that's something in the works was real talk. Um, but the way we do Forgotten Corner is we don't we don't jump right into the guests uh, current expertise or, or life. We, we, we want to find out about who we're talking to. And everybody knows you, it seems, because the show is extremely popular. But does everybody know you know you? And so before we get into everything that's uh, fun to talk about today, we want to hear your life story a little bit. So do you mind giving us kind of the synopsis of, uh, of who you are, where you came from and, and how the heck you ended up where you are today? Yeah. Um, do you mind giving me a bit of a time frame on? Oh, dude, you <laughs> no, got, you got this, this is podcasting. You know, we got all yeah, the time in the world. It, well, exactly. It's just, uh, that's a big question. Uh, it, and it's a fair question because I think to understand somebody's perspective, you, you do need to understand where they're coming from and what, they've experienced and you know as people have been saying for many years walk a mile in their shoes and uh, so sure I was uh, born in Calgary Alberta uh, the son of a uh, physician and a teacher by profession um, my mom uh, as a matter of fact retired from teaching um, to stay home and raise a family as well as manage my dad's medical practice so my mom um, is a machine and remains one to this day. Um, she was chair of the curriculum committee at the school that I attended, so she remained involved in education, uh, probably because her two sisters are also teachers, uh, one of them in the public system down in Calgary, and one of them, as a matter of fact, the founder of Banbury Crossroads School in Calgary, which is an alternative learning school uh, that people can look up on their own. Their dad, my maternal grandfather, uh, was a chemical engineer with Chevron, uh, for many years was also the chair of the Catholic school board in Calgary. So kind of a big deal in education and in downtown Calgary. Uh, my, my paternal grandfather, Stan Jesperson, was 
Um, uh, one of about a dozen children born on a farm in Stony Plain, Alberta, uh, just west of Edmonton, uh, born and raised on a dairy farm, moved to Calgary in the Second World War to serve in the Air Force. As a mechanic, he couldn't fly because he was colorblind. It broke his heart, but he was proud to serve his country. And when I uh, think of Remembrance Day, when I hear the last post played on a bugle, it gives me chills. As a matter of fact, I'm physically experiencing chills as I'm telling you this right now, uh, because my grandpa used to put on his Air Force uniform and he was a beautiful, uh, he played trumpet beautifully. He sang beautifully um, and he would play last post every Remembrance Day. He also sang O Canada for all of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce luncheons. He was very proud to do so um, yeah, because he was also publisher of the Calgary Chambers magazine. That was his uh, profession later in life. Um, uh, he uh, ultimately, as a matter of fact, was on his way running late uh, to a luncheon, the Calgary Chamber of Commerce to sing O Canada when he experienced a cardiac episode uh, and fell and hit his head, suffered a devastating brain injury. And for the last 20 years of his life or so, um, we got to know a different grandfather. Um, it was interesting for me to see the dynamic as well with my grandpa and my dad. My dad is a physician and also his son. So all of this to say, um, and I haven't even gotten into my background, which I will in a second, but there, there have been formative influences uh, around me, as is the case with anybody, of course. But in the things I talk about, oftentimes I'm thinking of the faces of friends or family members as I'm exploring an issue. Um, I was raised in Southeast Calgary, um, you know, probably an upper middle class family. I attended Glenmore Christian Academy, a private school from preschool through to grade nine. Uh, sort of felt like I was, uh, <clears throat> I didn't recognize what it was at the time, but I've always been a, an, an opinionated person, a gregarious person, a big personality, uh, never really a jerk, uh, more of the class clown. Um, but I, I sort of felt like I was a bit of a big fish in a small pond, even, even kind of making ripples on small things um, at, at the private school in grade seven, eight, and nine. I remember being sent to the office because I didn't wear socks. Um, I remember, you know, being told, socks, good for you. <laughs> you know, I had to cover up a Voirnay France t-shirt because it was the anarchy logo upside down. Uh, you know, you couldn't wear shirts with the peace symbol on them because it was the upside down broken cross. I mean, it was just stuff like that where my faith was still very important to me. And, and if you would have talked to me at that point in my life, uh, you, you would have, I mean, it was a very strong evangelical perspective, uh, but still I felt a need to go to public school. I'm very grateful that I did. I attended Henry Wisewood High School in Calgary. Um, graduated from there uh, a year after, went to Cape and Ray Bible School in Carnforth, England, uh, earned a diploma in theology, uh, came back to Canada, moved to Vancouver, uh, Langley, in fact, uh, went to Trinity Western University, which is uh, uh, an experience in itself. Uh, <laughs> wow. Did, yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I did a Bachelor of Arts in Communications, a BA in Communications at Trinity Western. I was also editor in chief of the Mars Hill, which is the student newspaper there. I was involved in some pretty prominent controversy uh, while I was out there, including at one point um, receiving a letter, uh, a, a, a threat of legal action from the university against the newspaper. In other words, the university threatening to sue the student association um, over some of our coverage, which I'm proud of to this day. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a long story, but it's an interesting one. Uh, moved back to Alberta after graduation, attended State Polytechnic in their broadcast news program, started my career uh, following some, some stints in the service industry, which I very much enjoyed uh, as a server and a bartender. Uh, moved to Red Deer. Uh, 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 well, I should say as well, I, I truly started my career at the Calgary Herald. Um, 
but uh, unfortunately, in 1999, people can do the research themselves. It was at that time, at least, and probably still Canada's biggest media strike. But I think about 185 people walked off the job. Um, I was not a union uh, position, um, nor obviously was I going to cross the picket line uh, to, to kickstart my career. Um, so in, in one of the most, uh, to this day, uh, one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made, I actually resigned that job, which was very difficult for me at the time. Uh, then I went to St. Polytechnic, um, because I was trying to get into broadcasting, but it was tough without <clears throat> broadcast training, obviously. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, after St. moved to Red Deer, started with, uh, Patterson broadcasting, big 105, 1067, the drive started my news career there. I was there for 10 months. I then opened the City TV Red Deer Bureau for City TV Edmonton. Um, I was there for a year, uh, moved to Edmonton, um, started doing weekend VJ gigs um, about three years later, four years later, through a long series of events and a serendipitous moment, uh, had an opportunity to audition to host Breakfast Television, uh, got the job, hosted Breakfast Television for six years, started getting a little bit maybe too outspoken for the format, uh, start, you know, started, started, uh, you know, while well, I was keeping it real, you know, I was keeping it real, which is what a show like that is all about, but they sure. more want you, they more want you to, and, and Hey, listen, I loved my time there. Uh, this is not a shot at the people nor the format. I loved my time there, but, but it was not intended to be deep, heavy, uh, right. challenging conversations in the morning, uh, you know, which we understood. And I had a great time, um, you know, working with chefs and artists and dancers and comedians and authors and, and community impactors and, and all these uh, different types of interviews through those six years. But I really started wanting to sink my teeth into things. And suddenly I was in small bites on the show. And so um, my contract was coming up at the time. Uh, there hadn't been meaningful discussion on an extension. I was kind of feeling I had hosted for six years. I kind of felt like that was a good window. I don't, I've, I've never really thought of myself as the type of person that would host one show or do one job for 30 years. Um, and then uh, Chorus Radio came calling. And, uh, and, and right off the bat, really, in a lunch, uh, offered me the nine to noon time slot in, in an AM talk show that uh, was a, a, a flagship uh, time slot on a, you know, I mean, what had typically been Dave Rutherford's time slot for, for 20 years. And uh, I had grown up listening to Dave Rutherford. I was one of those weird kids that would listen to talk radio at 16 years old. Um, they're the type of kids that I'm trying to get to listen to my show now. And, um, and so I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, Chorus told me at the time that they were looking to, um, you know, sort of rebrand themselves in a way to be perceived as less right wing, as a little bit more, um, you know, progressive conservative. Uh, they, they, they wanted to reach a younger audience, uh, which I think is still a real challenge for them. And, uh, but we did get the audience younger while I was there. And they asked me about my politics in the interview. I was happy to talk about that to a certain degree. Um, I, I said to them at the time, you know, you got to think this was uh, 20, this was like late 2014 when we were talking. Um, so, you know, pre-legal cannabis, uh, you know, people are still talking, I think, a little bit more prominently about marriage equality uh, in Canada, marriage right, you know, equality is what we might call it. Right. Um, so, you know, and so I said, you know, I kind of spelled it out. I said, you know, if, if you bring me in is what you're going to get, you know, a kid that's grown up conservative that that typically still unless he is swayed otherwise would vote conservative, um, but who is pro cannabis, uh, supportive of gay marriage, all these types of things. Uh, they said, perfect. Um, so we started there, had an amazing run at Chorus. I'm very proud of what we did at 630 Chad. 
uh, we built audience share. Uh, we were profitable every year. Uh, the ratings are higher when I left than when I arrived uh, significantly. Uh, so, I mean, we, we accomplished great things. Obviously, it was proving to not be a great fit. Uh, I had a lot of support on the local level uh, and very little support at the end uh, on the corporate level right. out of Toronto and out of Vancouver. Um, as everybody knows, I was quite prominently fired uh, on September 25th of 2020. And Don't tell that story yet. We're going to do that in a bit. <laughs> yeah. And immediately, uh, <laughs> and, and, and as a matter of fact, the truth is the wheels had been turning on, on real talk uh, prior to that, not in meaningful fashion. The show didn't have a name. There was no branding yet, uh, but the bones had been structured and uh, as sort of a, maybe even a, an exercise in what might be someday. Um, but it, it became apparent the time is now. And so here we are, I'm talking to you guys after uh, putting out our 52nd show. So we're, we're wow. 52 shows in and, uh, and uh, feeling like, uh, you know, the sky's the limit to a certain degree. There's an appetite for what we're doing. Um, the audience response and connection to what we're doing out of the gates is already very exciting. And, and there it is, my life in probably what, seven minutes. Yeah, so that's all the time we have for today. He's answered everything <laughs> we were going to talk to him about. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. so those, I, I tried to kind of touch on some of the more formative things that have brought Oh, that's good. Time. I love it. I love it. You're, you've you talked with some passion about a lot of things like uh, family and stuff, which is great. But uh, I know Jeremy has a, a question for you. Well, I was just going to say you touched on like all the themes that um, – we're we're gonna discuss today um but i wanted to return uh briefly to your political views because i think um you know when you were on 6 30 there was a perception that you're you're this um you know progressive voice and you know from describing your political views you're actually you know somewhat conservative um so i mean where where do you think that First of all, how could you describe your political views more in detail? And then could you tell us where you think this uh, perception comes from that you're like a left winger? Fucking commie. That's what I read. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. Yeah, I, that I'm this over caffeinated. I mean, hey, I'm proud to tell you that I am the uh, I am the source of the over caffeinated lefty jab that Premier Jason Kenney and his supporters love to throw out there that was a kenny interview that i did on chat a few years ago and uh he, he he and i when we have conversation it's funny because jason kenny's you know teams campaign teams back when he in the very early days of of his time as an mp in south calgary after his time with the canadian taxpayers federation he was this young rising star in the conservative party um, you know, still is basically right, isn't he? I mean, not young and rising, but you know, I mean, he 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 was uh, stepping in to inherit the the role that was evidently there for him because of his, um, you know, his ability to communicate with people because of his ardent views, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, point being, you know, I grew up, you know, I I grew up like you know going to Preston Manning's kids' birthday parties and playing basketball with them, and, and to this day, I'm still friends with them. Uh, grew up in in very conservative circles. Um, you know, Jason Kenny's, uh, they used to have fundraising little sort of muffin mornings in our home. Um, and my first conversation with Kenny personally was sitting at our kitchen island uh, over muffins. I was probably, four, I don't know, 15 years old, 16 years old, something like that. So, so this goes way back. Um, I emailed 
Jason Kenny personally when I got into broadcasting schools just to let him know said hey maybe one day I'll be interviewing you I've since tried to find that email but I think it's on a defunct account but I remember he wrote back to me I remember he was gracious um, I never had a personal problem with Jason Kenny uh, so uh, yeah I mean I, I grew up in conservative circles I have a picture of me and my buddies grade 10 uh, Preston Manning coming to speak at Henry Wisewood High School I took out my silver hoop earrings and I had two reform party lapel pins in my earlobes I mean, you know, I mean, can you, people would think Jesus. that was, people would think that was Photoshopped if they saw that today. So, um, you know, grew up, uh, you know, as soon as I could vote, voted conservative, didn't pull out a thought into it. It's what my family did. It's what my friends did. It's what the lawn signs said. Sounds very I mean, Albertan right yeah, there anyway. I mean, that's Al- typical. I totally understand the psyche. Absolutely. 100%. Um, my, my perspectives on conservative politics in Western Canada, um, on, on, on religion, evangelicalism, fundamentalism. I, I, I've, I have lived it. I can talk about it. Uh, I can speak the language. I can understand the psyche. I can, I can relate to people. Um, I respect people where they're at. So, um, you know, with regards to my political views right now, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I try to think back to some of the things that formed my opinions on some of the kind of the pillars um, you know, speaking to property owners and business owners and entrepreneurs um, about, you know, understanding a little bit from my from my grandpa, a chemical engineer, and his perspective on the National Energy Program and Pierre Trudeau, you know, being taught that, that uh, Petro Canada stood for Pierre Elliott Trudeau rips off Canada, uh, you know, be, you know, my grandpa telling me that he would rather run out of gas than stop at a Petro Canada. I mean, like all this stuff was ingrained in me. Um, and I adore my grandpa. My grandpa's like, I mean, I named our son after my grandpa. So, um, you know, I just um, present day, you know, I mean, you know, I have, you know, many people close to me, obviously, as does everybody else. Uh, Many people close to me that are that are uh, gay, queer, trans. Um, You know, I I uh, obviously I I have a a financial interest in in cannabis. Uh, My brother works in cannabis. He's operations manager and the genius behind Joy Botanicals just outside of Calgary and LP. Um, so, you know, I mean, I have, you know, perspectives on social justice and what meaningful policy looks like. Uh, typically, uh, I think that it's funny that I get painted to a certain degree and I don't get painted by people like, like average, normal members of the public. I get painted by political soldiers and politicians and spokespersons and press secretaries. And there's a big difference, right? It's in some people's interest to make my views um, you know, perceived to be unpalatable, ridiculous, outrageous, uh, because when it all comes down to it, uh, they have something to lose. So, you know, I, I think it's funny that, you know, the other day I tweeted about, um, you know, bringing back healthcare premiums. I think it's a conversation that Alberta should have many. Now, obviously I'm a professional provocateur and I gleaned many wonderful responses from which we built content on the show. I'm not saying that I put out positions that are totally disingenuous, but sometimes I'll float an idea to see where people are at, but I'm open to something like healthcare premiums. As an example, I don't think things like some reasonable, appropriate, corporate tax rates, let, let's call them entrepreneurial incentives, are inherently bad. So on, on, in some ways, I believe that government should get out of the way and should be smaller. However, and some people might say that this gets me all twisted up and incongruous and that it doesn't make sense. But I also believe that government should very uh, strongly uh, believe in things like worker protections and, and, and basic living wages 
and social supports and meaningful support for mental health. So, you know, these are types of things where to me, it's not inherently, uh, uh, you know, exclusive to one political party or political movement. I've described myself because people are often curious and in, in knowing how I perceive myself to be where I'd put myself on the spectrum as a small P small C progressive conservative. That's how I would describe myself. So I grew up in Saskatchewan half my life. I grew other half of my life living in Alberta, you know, I, I, I kind of know a lot of what you're talking about as far as like I growing up, I, I, I knew a lot of conservatives and I knew a lot, but it, you know, these weren't people that, you know, were anti-worker or anything like this. Right. Not but it, it, it feels like, well, no, I know this to be true that conservative modern day conservative conservatism has seemingly left that progressive aspect behind, like the, there seems to have been a shift where like it is just about business. It is just about the corporate pocketbook and so much not about, and some of that is like, I've heard Jason Kenny himself talk about driving labor costs down and things like this in order. And these are like people drive the economy. Or human capital. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so I guess, where do you think that shift happened? Because like disclaimer, you know, I kind of think that like your buddy Preston Manning was among the people that really pushed that shift, that reform party shift where it was like, leave the progressive behind and let's do it like this. And so I just kind of want to get your thoughts because I think you're pretty aware that our current conservatives aren't like the ones you felt you grew up with. Well, not even just, I mean, I mean, not even like, the conservatives of 10 years, not even the conservative party of five years ago. Right. Like, you know, Jim Prentice, I mean, you know, people can evaluate you, you can evaluate each politician by a number of different ways. You could, you could paint any former premier or former prime minister as an, as an obtuse or malicious uh, person unfit for office. If you picked and chose certain things uh, about their policies or platforms or accomplishments or whatever, um, and then you could also paint anyone as a genius if you picked and chose. So I know that people may not have an appetite for certain politicians, but I would, I, you know, I would suggest, you know, reasonable, uh, empathetic, still very capable and strong leaders existed in conservative Alberta and still exist probably out of office right now, but ex exist as people. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not thinking back too far, you know, Ed Stelmack, Dave Hancock, uh, you know, premiers that people felt like they could relate to. Um, that were reasonable, pragmatic. Um, you know, I mean, you, you think of sort of how Ed Stelmack got, got eaten alive by his own party for talking about things like, you know, I mean, you know, uh, uh, you know I, I, taking a look at like royalty review is the type of thing where reasonably speaking, anybody that would take office that would want to get their own independent or, or fresh, a fresh set of eyes on the numbers and things like that. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I can't believe Albertans would want to see if maybe they should be take, getting more money out of the resources yeah, that are extracted. In and our it's really, backyard. I mean, it's really funny. And to a certain degree that exists, but it, it exists, I think, on the political spectrum. Um, I don't know if you want to say across, we could really explore this. It depends on this, if this is going to be an eight hour podcast or not, but, but you can find a lot of examples. And I think that if we're talking about conservative politics right now, the examples are abundant where the masses are led to support and fight for policies that inherently are harmful to the masses. 
and uh, there, there's a ton of evidence of that. I think it speaks to you know politics as religion, religion as politics, um, sort of a tribal mentality, us versus them, team sport. You know, I mean, we could really get into it. And I do think you're on to something. I mean, obviously the, you know, Preston Manning, um, you know, gave rise to I mean, what, what Preston Manning ultimately did in my mind is he showed Western Canadians, uh, in particular, the Prairie provinces, that they could uh, leverage that the idea of Alberta alienation or, or Ottawa v. Alberta in a way that could resonate federally uh, and could resonate across the country if done right and uh, you know to a certain degree I mean Preston never really sort of like broke through the ribbon and became prime minister but he certainly paved the way I mean he, he continues to have great influence in conservative politics in Alberta yeah and you uh, you of course uh, you mentioned before you know Jason Kenney rather well I mean I wouldn't say I don't, I don't know him personally rather well I just we go back at a at a very shallow level we go back for a really long time right so so you guys go way back now I, I recall you saying that no UCP or almost no UCP MLA um, will come on your show at least prior to uh, real talk yeah um, though I would imagine it's the same now um what what happened like what why why are they avoiding you well i mean you know i can only tell you what people have told me and then i can speculate so that's what i'll do um you know i've i've heard from uh a a minister a a current minister who i would never identify obviously uh from the horse's mouth um that at the very first caucus meeting after the ucp won the election uh, that that Jason Kenny said, I'm not going to sort of, you know, lord over you all and tell you who you can or cannot talk to. But there's one show that nobody does. And it's Ryan <laughs> Jesperson show on 630 Chet. And a minister told me that to my face. And I was talking to a, a conservative MLA a couple of months later. And I remember when the minister told me, I thought, there's no way that can actually be true. I mean, that's crazy. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so I, we started putting out some asks not necessarily to prove to see if that was true or not, but because I was doing my job, I was hosting a talk show. It was shortly after the election, uh, but what was really interesting to see is that, you know, for example, Danielle Smith and I co-hosted a show, a province wide show, Alberta wide show the morning after the election when the United conservatives won and Jason Kenny, premier Kenny wouldn't do the show that day. But then when I drove back to Edmonton, he did Danielle Smith's show the next day. That kind of stuff was happening. And they were declining our interview requests and ministers were declining interview requests. And then I was out socially, there was a conservative MLA there and I just approached and I said, hey, I, I, I hate to kind of put you in the spot or not come off the record, but is it accurate that the entire caucus has been in, has instructed to avoid my show? And they said, yeah, yeah, that's true. So for a while, we sort of, and so I, I guess we probably go to the why uh, before I can sort of bring you up to speed on how that's played out. But, you know, the why, I think, um, I don't know why. I mean, there, you know, I, I'd interviewed Kenny many times. Uh, I know why. Well, it's because of the Adler stuff, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the actual reason. 
but 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 there had been interviews before where <clears throat> he would come into studio for example and i'd have like you know i sometimes i prepare and sometimes i don't you know sometimes i you know i've delivered keynote speeches with no notes and i've and I've read keynote speeches. I, I can do both. It depends on how the mood strikes. It depends on what I'm talking about. And you know, I very rarely go into an interview with a ton of handwritten notes, but if I can have a meaningful long form interview with somebody that wants to be premier of the province, for example, I'm gonna have pretty extensive notes in front of me. I always did the same for Rachel Notley. I did the same for Jim Prentice. Gary Mason wrote about it in the Globe and Mail. An interview I did with Jim Prentice got written about in the Globe and Mail because of how the interview went. So, so it was not unusual for me to, to be you know, overly prepared for an interview, especially if you're dealing with somebody slippery like Jason Kenny, where you need to have facts and you need to have stuff in front of you. You need to have background. You need to have context. And I remember him coming in a couple of times and, and he'd walk in and and, and he'd, he'd always look at my notes and he'd say, well, you got a lot of notes. You got a lot of stuff written down, kind of like almost sort of like it, it would turn him off a little bit. One time he said it and I said, obviously, like I just kind of smiled like, yeah, I mean, here we are. This is my job, right? He just did sort of like he he, he always kind of he always kind of just he, he's very you, you've seen it from him. You've seen it from him anytime a journalist presses him on anything. You've seen him anytime uh, a politician, an opposition politician presses him. He gets prickly. Right. And he gets kind of snarky and he was always that way. You know, there was an interview that I did with him once and um, in my introduction to him uh, into the interview, it was my very first, probably two minutes of the morning. So, you know, uh, I was kind of, you know, getting settled in. I'm not reading from a script. I'm, I'm alive ad living. And I kind of tripped over my introduction as I introduced him and I go, Oh, sorry. I say, sorry, Mr. Kenny. He was in opposition at the time. I said, sorry, Mr. Kenny. I, you know, I'm like six coffees in, so I'm a little jittery. And he starts talking, we start doing the interview and I start pressing him on something. And he goes, hey, listen, I'm not gonna let these over-caffeinated lefties kind of push me into this corner. And I, I, I like started laughing and people started hashtagging over-caffeinated lefty. And that's where that came from. So we always kind of had this, I don't know, but for me, I loved it. Um, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, there, through through history there have been these great relationships between politicians or corporate leaders and media members or hockey coaches and reporter journalists that clash and have this kind of uh very meaningful relationship where the best interviews are done in that context and i always thought that that might or could be the case um that's just not the way he operates so fast forward to you know april of uh 2019 this was right before this is like two weeks before the provincial election and, uh, you know, this UCP candidate in, in um, Drayton Valley, some stuff had surfaced about how in speaking in front of a church, he had said that gay love is not real love and this, that, and the other. And I, uh, Charles Adler called me and asked if I wanted to go coast to coast on Charles Adler tonight. Charles is a very dear friend of mine. I said, obviously, I go on with him anytime. It's always an honor. I grew up listening to him. And I didn't go into that interview. As a matter of fact, I, I, uh, it was kind of funny. I was putting my son to bed that night and, um, and I, and I had, I had sort of tucked him in and turned off the light and the interview with Adler was in like five minutes and I literally had a napkin and I scribbled down some notes on the napkin, which I still have. And I, uh, and I just started writing down all of the, the sort of scandals and, and things, the prominent news items, the, 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 the headlines that demanded to be answered to um, that were plaguing the conservatives through this campaign, like some of the voting irregularities, uh, you know, the, the, the comments of this candidate, 
Um, you know, I mean, some of the contributions that people had seen from like the Wilberforce project and pressure on sort of like pro-life groups that have been talking about how they're winning the battle of the constituency associations. And next up is the government. And I mean, all these things that I was like, you know, Canada should be hearing about this. And this is wild. And this is my Alberta, you know, in so many ways as it's four and a half million other people's their Alberta. I'm not laying some claim, but what I'm saying is I give a shit about the place. But I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I wasn't like in the, you know, sort of in the gym, hitting the heavy bag ahead of time, getting all worked up to talk to Adler. I just kind of rolled in casual to that interview. Uh, Adler, the master, uh, you know, took the conversation to a deep level right away and was like, what's going on here? What's going on with Mark Smith, this candidate in Drayton Valley? What's going on with the comments about the gay and lesbian community? What's going on with Alberta? And I just started going and I stand by it to this day. And as a matter of fact, you can still find that interview online. Um, everything that I said, quite frankly, has manifested itself. Uh, I, I would, I would challenge anyone to show me in that interview two and a half years ago. Uh, well, you know, anything that I said that has proven to be inaccurate. I know so, the feeling, my friend. Adler says to me, um, I'm going to be interviewing Jason Kennedy tomorrow night. You know, what's one thing I should ask him or give me one thing to ask him. And I, and I just said, just hold his feet to the fire, Charles, like make him answer your questions. Like, like, do a meaningful interview. And Adler's like, okay, well, I just said course right out. Well, back <laughs> you know, we sign off. Well, anyway, uh, that interview that next night with Charles Adler and Jason Kenny is one of the most incredible interviews I have ever heard in my life. And Adler just put on a master's class of, of uh, interviewing. And Jason Kenny was just to me at that time uh, exposed and he was furious and, uh, you know, he didn't speak to Adler or I has not, has not spoken to Adler nor I ever since. So it's personal. It's a grudge. It's, uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird because I have. He didn't, he didn't think he was coming here to be challenged. That's to me, the biggest aspect of this is that Kenny, Kenny saw Alberta as just softball media like he didn't expect there to be people holding his feet to fire and i guarantee you he didn't expect charles adler to be the first one yeah well and and i think that maybe jason kenny's never really had to work very hard in alberta you know he loves to he loves to brag about his numbers and win margins and things like that but you know he's never really run in any constituency that offered any sort of a challenge i mean you know he, if he ever pushed back on that I, i'd probably ask him why he campaigns across the country, not in his own riding. Uh, I'd probably ask him why he's, you know, been so assigned. And, and that's something that I know he's very proud of. And it's not a small accomplishment. I'm not diminishing the accomplishment of him being sent into ridings to attempt to sway them for the conservatives because he was effective in some circumstances doing that. Not in 2019, that's for sure. But in prior elections, he was. But if uh, Calgary Midnapore or South Calgary Southeast or whatever the riding has been named or renamed over the years, if it ever was some sort of a challenge, then I think he probably would have been there campaigning and knocking on doors. His win margins are enormous because it's Southeast Calgary. Uh, so it's know, a pretty easy, safe riding. Yeah, it's a very safe riding. Now, that's not taking away from you know, I, I find I always want to be fair. I always want to be reasonable. Like that's not taking away from his campaign teams. That's not taking away from his campaign managers. Uh, you never take an election for granted. And I know a lot of people have worked very hard for him over the years. All I'm saying is that I think it's been evidenced that either Jason Kenney did not really understand Alberta 
Um, he did not really understand leadership, or maybe there's been a combination of both, but it's been a rough ride for Alberta's premier in the first two years of his tenure. Well, and considering the way that he became the leader and the investigations that have come since, I don't think anybody actually took his election for granted. I think a lot of people worked pretty goddamn hard to make sure he got in there. I just, uh, I'm not sure it was necessarily. Uh... Well, I mean, the weird thing is that he was going to win the leadership race anyway. That's, <laughs> right. that's, that's the thing that's always been strange to me. And, and that's the thing that I've always asked people to, to consider is that what does it say that and you know, I mean, you know, you got to offer all the. I don't know what sort of ENO insurance you guys carry on this podcast, but we'll offer all of the necessary caveats and qualifiers here. Um, you know, it's alleged that there were improprieties, that there was a, a kamikaze campaign run. I think any person that operates with common sense or any sense of reasonable thought process will acknowledge that he has never denied it. Happened. He says he didn't know about it. That's yeah, which, his only which comment obviously, on that. If, if you know, Jason Kenny, whether he, he knew, says he, whether he says he didn't know about a kamikaze campaign or whether he says he didn't know that his chief of staff was traveling to England over the Christmas break, <laughs> obviously he either knew, or if he didn't know he's unfit for leadership. So, so that that's a non-starter. To well, oh, yeah. I was, I was, I was re-watching uh, one of the UCP leadership debates for a piece I wrote last year. And in in retrospect, and mind you, the, the leadership race was happening like shortly after I moved to Alberta. So I was very fresh. I didn't have a lot of background, but watching it last year, it, it struck me how obviously fake Jeff Calloway's campaign was, like just on the debate stage. Um, just you know going after brian jean like aggressively and i mean just like otherwise like just kind of winging it you know just i mean he didn't really have any firm positions i remember back back in the early stages of that leadership race talking to so many former wild rosers uh you, you know remember callaway of course had held positions of senior he was i think former president of the party if i remember correctly um you know senior leadership positions and talking to former Wild Rosers that were sitting there going, or, or like current Wild Rosers that were, you know, supportive of the of the union of the two parties, sort of trying to sort out in their own minds why Callaway would be running. And I remember them, some of them suggesting that maybe there was a rift between he and Brian Jean, and um, he had always had hard feelings. And people were saying maybe, you know, he had always had hard feelings about Brian Jean, but then why would he get in the way of Jason Kenny? It doesn't make sense because doesn't he know he's going to get steamrolled by Jason Kenny? And I rem I remember these conversations people were having. I mean, it just didn't make sense to people at the time. Uh, and then of course it all made sense uh, to most people that are willing. I mean, I, to me, there are certain things. I said this to a guy on Facebook the other day, I posted something. I talked to Chrissy Stroop, this prominent ex evangelical in the United States. She's just a, a, a wonderful communicator, really an amazing mind and, and challenged people on matters of faith and, and dominionism and fundamentalism and Trumpism. It was a great conversation, but um, we were talking and, and uh, this guy on Facebook kind of comes at me and said like, Oh, so, you know, do you believe that like everybody that voted for Donald Trump, do you believe that everybody that supports Donald Trump is a bigot or is it whatever? And I, and I, and I just wrote back to him because I, I, I know the guy personally and, and I'm not going to get into it with him, but I, I, you know, I wanted to offer a response. And I basically just said, listen, pal, post January 6th, if you're still publicly supporting Donald Trump, I said, I've got an appetite to debate and discuss almost anything. There's a very short list of things that are just non-starters for me. 
That's one of them. And I would say probably also on that list would be people who still insist that there were no improprieties or irregularities in the leadership contest of that party. I mean, that's just widely and publicly acknowledged. And I'm actually astounded that it's not more of a recurring or current issue with people, especially conservatives in Alberta. Honest to God, I've been saying that since this election two years ago, like, and I, I put this on the NDP, like the, what, when the NDP was in their opposition was really good at a couple of things. And one of those things was picking some things and just hammering them over and over and over and over again for four years. If I was Rachel Notley in the NDP and I knew that the premier was, there were fines being handed out for the cheating that went on behind the scenes to get, I would never, I would spend every day talking about that. Like it would be all I talked about, but they I, never uh, talk. They never talk about it. Like it's the media doesn't really talk about it. Yeah. There's just a lot to talk about, Scott. <laughs> it's <laughs> That's true. It's, it's why it's important that there's podcasts. It's why it's why conversations like this are important. It's, you know, we can't assume that everybody is politically engaged or politically aware. Right. I mean, you know, even if you look at voter turnout, you know, that might suggest that one in two people are somewhat politically engaged on election day. Um, I don't know what, what I'd be actually curious to know how, you know, where people would identify as politically engaged or not, maybe on a sliding scale. I might, I might describe 10% of the population as politically engaged, maybe less than probably actually probably less than 10%, to be honest, 5%. I mean, I, of all, I've lived in Medicine Hat a long time and like, I have a lot of friends here and I know one that like listens to the podcast and yeah. pays attention to politics. And like, these are my best friends. There's no, nothing against them. And we just don't talk about this stuff. Like we, we shoot the shit and hang out and do whatever else. I mean, not lately, but in life. And uh, it is what it is. Do I wish some of my friends were more politically engaged? Yeah, they got kids now and, and they own homes. And, and these are the times in your life where you should be paying attention to who's making your decisions. Well, and this is why I think that issues matter. It's, it's why I, you know, when you asked me to sort of introduce myself to your audience, I, I focused on issues and think because I think of what forms my politics and what forms my what directs my passion and what what has prompted me to meaningfully look into issues on, on the policy side, on the empathetic human side. Um, it's not like, you know, if one of your friends is politically engaged, what, what will get 10 of them politically engaged? It's one issue right now. What is getting people in Alberta more politically engaged than anything else? It's open pit coal mining in the Rocky mountains. I guarantee you this government had no idea that hundreds of thousands of Albertans would wake up to politics over something that they thought was was a Andy. tiny little issue that they could rescind in a cold policy, which now they're saying they're going to bring back parts of it. Bullshit. I'll wait to see what they're going to do. People have to keep an eye on this government. I tell you, we got to keep an eye on all governments, but this one is something special. Um, I don't get the sense that this government feels any any inclination to actually meaning. I've always felt that governments in past have at least in some way been looking out for Alberta. Even Ralph Klein. I mean, I actually, you know, I guarantee that I'll probably disagree with you guys on a few things here. Um, there, there are Klein warts and all. Okay, let's talk Klein warts and all because there are Ralph Klein was human and, and Ralph Klein certainly made some mistakes that he probably um, 
would not characterize his mistakes. And then he made other mistakes that he did acknowledge were mistakes, but he was human, but he was a character and he was a personality. And I actually adored Ralph Klein. And, um, but I'll tell you, like even Ralph Klein, people will say, well, he, he caused an infrastructure deficit and he made devastating cuts to education and he blew up hospitals and it didn't make any sense. And he wanted to cut down the debt to zero um, at any cost. And, and, and he you know, gave these prosperity checks when he could have invested in the province and blah, 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 blah. You can, you know, people say, well, he did invest in the province and blah, 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 blah. My only point is, is that even when you look back at Ralph Klein's biggest thing, was probably getting Alberta out of debt, paid in full. He was so proud of it. That was something that he did because he believed that that was good for Alberta. Does anybody, aside from the, aside from the absolute card-carrying apologists, does anybody right now get the sense that Jason Kenney is driven ultimately and primarily by what is good for Alberta? I don't think so. I, I think he thinks what he's doing is good for Alberta in, in, in the same way Klein did. Like, I don't like Klein scenes. And again, I didn't, I, first of all, I was quite young, but also I wasn't living in Alberta, but it seems to me that uh, like on a personal level, Klein had this sort of every man charm, like, like Rob Ford is, you know, as well as the addiction issues. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I would characterize both of them as ideologues who are driven by what they think is good for Alberta. Although Kenny, I think, is also what's good for his, um, you know, future political ambitions. I think there's an element of that there. And every politician, every politician is thinking of their own future. They're thinking yep. of uh, a prosperity on, on a, a personal and a, and a connection level. There's nepotism at all levels uh, with every government from every political party. There is the political machine that is evident everywhere. There are things that you must do to secure support and to win elections. Um, political parties do them and perpetuate them. Um, uh, you know, uh, Rachel Notley's government uh, was guilty of this in some ways. Jason Kenney's government is guilty of it in some ways, and every Alberta government has been guilty of it in some ways. Um, there are different definitions of how you build an economy, of how you structure and pay for social services, how you prioritize things like that. Um, I, I just, I, I don't believe, you know, I think that all I'm saying here is that trust is waning in this government. The polls show sure. it. And when expert voices, including from industry, are saying that this government is not listening to them. Uh, I just did an art interview with Art Price. I think everybody's heard the clip the, by the now. For, the former CEO of Husky. Former is CEO that of Husky. Who Great says, quote. I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a remarkable interview. He says that Keystone being canceled is not a big deal. Uh, there's no market nor appetite for expanded capacity right now. He says Alberta has good existing capacity. We need to defend existing pipelines and existing infrastructure. He says industry has moved on from the idea of expansion and the government needs to do the same thing. This is from a, I mean, like this is not- Who knows from, better? <laughs> it's, not, it's not from Zipporah Berman. Right. It's from the former CEO of Husky Energy. And, uh, and I'd love to hear the premier dismiss it because it was on my show. He'd probably find a way to do it. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I was going to just to take it back to Ralph a little bit there. But we, and, and we absolutely could talk about all the things that, that Ralph Klein did that we don't agree with. And certainly the 1996 boom in oil and gas, gas really paid off the debt. Gas he, was huge. Gas was huge, right? So he got this insane and he got lucky. There's no doubt about it. But there is no question 
that Kenny is a colder version of an ideologue than Ralph Klein ever was. Ralph Klein was still a warm guy who you could tell had empathy and love for other people. Like, I really don't think Jason Kenny is capable of empathy. I, I like, we've had a show about this because it was like at some, at one point, I can't remember what it was he said, but I, I just had to ask the question, like, is he even capable of giving, of actually empathizing with another human being? Because I, I, like he doesn't seem to have a lot of relationships in his life. I'm not talking about romance. I'm just talking about like friends the romance and, too. Well, anything like he just seems like a loner who's cold and just sort of dedicated his life to this one thing. And he just sort of speaks robotically. I don't find any gen like he's never genuine to me when he, even when he's trying to talk passionately, I'm like, what the fuck? And like Ralph Klein at least was a warm guy. Ralph Klein, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to apologize. Let me just say, so I'm not going to keep qualifying everything. I, like Ralph Klein was incredible uh, from, a, from, a, a, from a, a leader's perspective. I'm not talking about policy. I'm not talking about cuts to healthcare. I'm not talking, okay, I marched out at threat of suspension with thousands of other Calgary high school kids. We marched out and, and walked down Elbow Drive and all met at Olympic Plaza in Calgary. There were thousands of us there to protest education cuts. It was one of the more formative uh, events of my youth. It was, that, was, that was the first time that I really challenged myself. And I was like, I was like 16 or 17. Um, I actually went back and read the archive of that day in the Calgary Herald uh, coverage of it just last year to remind myself about it and what date it was. And we had, I was talking to someone about it. That was a very influential day in, in my own opinion, because I was aware of what I was protesting. And I was aware that I was speaking out against cuts. I, I, I was at the early stages of understanding fiscal conservatism. Like I never really, you know, the whole thing about like the reform party lapel pins and the, you know, this, that, and the other, like, I didn't, I mean, I was a kid. I was in grade 10. I didn't, I didn't understand barely anything about anything. Um, and, and that's why I think it's like, you know, if I'm going to speak now, about whether it's a, a faith journey or a political journey or a social journey, I mean, um, you know, I, I, I come at it from having, having worn boots out on that journey. Um, the Ralph Klein thing for me, uh, not talking about his policies, but talking about him as a person and as a leader and what he brought to the table, um, remarkably vulnerable, a very powerful communicator. I remember my first interview with Ralph Klein as a journalist and, and, and I never experienced anything like how he controlled the interview, controlled the narrative. I felt like I had been through a washing machine by the time it was done uh, as a cub reporter. He was just so skilled at, I, I, I just marveled at it. I was like, I, I was like a young reporter and I just couldn't, I, I just felt like I'd completely lost control of the interview, but still I was like, I'm talking to premier Ralph Klein, like this is just, it, 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 I left feeling like I hadn't really done my job, but I had audio to pull clips, but I kind of didn't really push him because I kind of just got pushed around myself. I mean, there, he was just this force. Um, you know, his probably the one thing that people really on a personal level will criticize him for um, is, you know, throwing change at, at homeless guys, you know, coming, you know, rolling in drunk uh, to a homeless shelter and throwing change and barking at him and telling him to get a job. And, um, obviously wasn't there. I have spoken with someone at length who was there that night and their version of events is a little bit different. Um, they're quick to, uh, they, they say, yes, he was impaired. Yes. He demanded that we go there. Yes. We told him it was a bad idea. Yes. He walked in the door. 
Um, they said, but he, but he, he didn't in, in, in a malicious way, bark at them, throw the change. He did sort of just, you know, sort of drop some money at some people and things like that. Yes. We knew it was a bad idea. It was not malicious, this, that, and the other, that, that's been th this person's account of it to me directly. Um, what did Ralph Klein do the next morning though? Like, like what did Ralph Klein do shortly after that? He, he tearfully apologized to Albertans, acknowledged that he had a drinking problem and, uh, and went off the sauce. Like I, you know, I have a lot of room for people that will acknowledge uh, when they've fallen short and when they betrayed the public trust and when they endeavor to make, to take meaningful steps. And of course, every situation you've got to evaluate in its own context, but when they say that they'll do better and then attempt to do better. Um, ultimately, like any politician's career, the sun set on his, he lost his party support and he was sure. gone, but, but he, was a, he was a remarkable communicator. And that's it for part one of our conversation with Ryan Jesperson, host of Real Talk. Tune in next week and catch part two. As always, this is the time in the show where we like to thank those of our patrons who go above and beyond in their support for our show. Uh, to Chris Derwell, to uh, Dave Bonmiller, and to Big Red Machine. Thank you guys so much for all you guys do. To our other patrons, thank you for everything that you guys do. We'll see you guys next week.